All right, well, happy Super Bowl Sunday, everyone. How many of you are cheering for the Chiefs tonight? How many of you are cheering for the Eagles? How many of you are cheering for the commercials? Commercials win. All right, good. Uh, If I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, uh, lead pastor for Riverwood. Uh, Jake, our worship director, he and Grace are on their baby moon. Uh, Baby comes in about a month, and so they wanted to get away. And so I am so grateful that we have a church where we've got some people who are willing to step up and step in. So Michelle and Sam and and the whole team just willing to to lead us, uh, and I am so grateful for that. Uh, Just a few things before we uh, jump into our sermon today. Uh, When you walked in, hopefully you received one of our handouts. Inside of that is all of our announcements today. I'll just let you take the time to read through those. Also, though, in there is a connection card. If you're a first-time guest, our church family fills that card out every week. We usually just fill out the top line with our name, the date, and then we use the back for prayer requests, for when we sign up for various things like the food pantry or whatever. But if you are willing to fill out the entire front of that card, what we do is we donate $5 to Compassion International on behalf of every first-time guest. So if you, for your family, would fill that out, you can drop that in our giving box on your way out, and we will then send off that $5 to Compassion on your behalf. Uh, If you don't know who Compassion International is, they are an organization that works through local churches to help provide children an opportunity to be released from poverty. They help provide the kids with some food, uh, with some clothing, uh, with education, but they do all of it with this hope and dream that some of these kids would understand the life-changing message of Jesus. And so if you would like to uh, allow us to give that on your behalf, just fill out that card, drop it in the giving box, and we will get that sent off. Um, This week, we are serving at the... uh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Giving. Um, if you are giving today as part of your worship, uh, you can uh, drop that also in the giving box. You can also do that online. Uh, many of us have that set up automated, uh, but we would really encourage you to be giving as part of your worship, whether you're giving here at Riverwood or you give to other organizations that are helping to spread the gospel like Compassion International. But we just believe that God wants us to continue to open up our fists, our finances, our influence, our skills, and our time. So we would encourage you to take these things that we want to hold on to in this life and just continue to give those over to God. So we want to give that to you as an opportunity for your worship as well. And then to give of your time, I encourage you to come uh, on Tuesday, Valentine's Day, to uh, uh, serve at the food pantry. Uh, Guys, take your wife there because women find it sexy when they see their men uh, serve, all right? To see you volunteer, they're just going to go bananas and think you're the world's greatest. So everyone go serve at the, the food pantry on Tuesday. You can use that link that's in the uh, handouts there, uh, that's up on the screen and uh, sign up to volunteer and then uh, make sure you go either for the 415 setup shift and or the 530 distribution shift and each of those shifts is just roughly one hour long. All right, well, uh, Today, we are continuing on in our uh, Jesus-centered relationships series as we get into, we're going to finish up Colossians chapter 3 and dip over into uh, chapter 4 today. And one of the unwritten rules of public speaking is to never start with an apology. But I'm going to break that. Not because I think I did anything horribly wrong, But as I was working on my sermon this week, I just couldn't help but bump up against some of the the messages we've already had in the series. And what I realized was, I I think I fell short. I, I don't think I did as good of a job as I could have or should have in helping you see just how radical Paul's words are in Colossians 3. For instance, uh, last week, we looked at the topic of marriage. We were in Colossians 3, verses 18 and 19. And we had to see that Paul called wives to submit. So we talked about this really uncomfortable word. 
But what I don't think I did a good job of explaining is that in Paul's day, no one would have balked at him telling wives to submit. What would have surprised them was how he stopped short of telling them to obey. Wives at that time were, were basically at the level of like slave. And, and so whatever the husband demanded, because he would be the master of the home, the wife would have been expected to do. And yet Paul didn't go that far. He, he stopped at submit to your husband. But even more radical was the fact that he called them this master of the house, the husband, to love his wife like Christ loved the church. And as we saw last week by dipping over into Ephesians chapter 5, we saw that the way Christ showed his love for the church was to give himself up. In other words, to die for the sins of humanities, those who, who would come into the church and be Christ's bride. And, and I don't think I did a good job of fully explaining that. They, they would have expected him to tell the wife to die to herself for the sake of the husband. But Paul flipped it. The husband, who's the higher in the relationship, was to sacrifice himself and put the needs of the wife first, to die to himself for her. Likewise, two weeks ago, when we were, uh, the kids were all with us here because it was the fifth Sunday, we looked at the relationship between parents and children, verses 20 and 21. And we saw that parents were told not to provoke their children. Now, in our Western mindset, well, okay, that makes sense. You know, parents should be kind and, and lead their kids well. But in his day and age, children barely had any dignity. They, they, they were not, I mean, some kids just got abandoned. Uh, children who were unwanted were just kind of left on the street. Children did not, in fact, abuse was a horrible issue within the Roman Empire. So children were just not valued. And yet Paul goes so far as to say, parents, don't provoke your children. Instead, don't discourage them and beat them down. Instead, you as a parent need to do what you can to lift them up. Again, he tells the upper in the relationship to sacrifice yourself and put the needs of the other first. Very, very radical. The reason I need to point this out today is because today we're going to come to the topic of slavery. And if we approach it with our modern ears... Some of it is going to sound very wrong, and we will miss just how radical these words actually are. And I don't want you to miss it. And so today, we're going to see that, yes, yeah, slavery was different in biblical times versus what we know of now. But also, I'm going to hopefully help you see how Paul was not propping up the institution of slavery, but rather, if you take what he talks about with slavery to its natural Christ-centered conclusion, the entire industry of slavery tumbles and crumbles and is no more. And I hope in all of that, you will still find yourself thankful for who God is, for what Jesus has done, and what you hear today will actually impact tomorrow. So if you brought a Bible, please open it up to Colossians chapter 3. And we are going to, as I said, finish up uh, chapter 3 by starting at verse 22. And we will be going over and grabbing verse 1 of chapter 4. If you did not bring a Bible, we will be putting the scripture on the screen so that you can read along uh, with us. Um, I just encourage you either download a Bible to your phone and feel free to use that on Sundays or stop by our resource table and pick up a paper copy of the Bible. We've got a couple of translations back there and we'll find the one that will help you in following Jesus. What we really want is for you to not only have a Bible when you're here on Sunday because we open this thing up every single week. We really want you to have a Bible that you can use any day and every day of the week. We really believe that God does still communicate through it and we would love for you to 
continue to be impacted by God throughout the week. So please get yourself a Bible and don't just rely on the screens on Sundays. All right, as we get ready to read, uh, let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, as we now come to your holy word, may you be our teacher. Help us to see how words written to slaves and masters can still impact us here in 2023. Father, I pray you'd help us to not just listen to this through our modern ears, but to instead listen with your spirit that your spirit would communicate exactly what you need to say so that we can become the people you call us to be. I pray you would do this for your glory as well as for our joy. And it's in Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. All right. Colossians 3, start at verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This past week, uh, on Twitter, I saw this whole uh, conversation about slavery. Particularly, a group of Christians who have some issues with the, the, the Bible. And one of their arguments was that the Bible promotes slavery. And one of their texts to prove it was this one right here. The fact that Paul would say to slaves, obey your masters in everything. To them, that is him saying, slavery is good and okay. Because really they think what he should have said was, slaves, escape your masters as soon as you possibly can rise up and overthrow them because this is evil. I will say to those who are anti-Bible and think that it promotes slavery, that I'm actually glad that slavery bothers them. I believe that humans are made in the image of God. And so it is a grave evil for one human being to think that they have the right and audacity to own another human being. No, that image means they belong to God. They do not belong to me, to any master. And so I'm glad that slavery bothers them. However, the slavery of Paul's day was very different than the slavery of our day. When we think of slavery, we think of the chattel slavery of early America. We think of the human trafficking that is taking place nowadays. We envision people who have been forced against their will into something. And so therefore, they think Paul should be saying, get out of it, escape. And so the fact that Paul doesn't makes them think, well, he must think this is okay. Thing is, Paul doesn't think slavery is okay. In, in 1 Corinthians 7, he flat out says, if you're a slave and can get, gain your freedom, by all means, do it. However, he says, if you are not a slave, don't sell yourself into slavery. That starts to help us see there's a difference. The, the word there in verse 22 that gets translated um, in many Bibles, slave, in mine is translated bond servant. 
uh, I'm using the English Standard Version, and I found out that in their first edition, when they first released the ESV, they translated it slave. The, the majority of, of uh, Bibles do. However, when they were going through it, um, most Bibles, when they publish, they have five years, and then they can decide if they want to make any changes. And so the ESV changed this one to bond servant because it's a slightly better translation. The, the Greek word there, doulos, it means slave. However, the slaves of Paul's day, oftentimes they entered into it willingly. There was no conquering army that came over and with guns and bows and arrows or whatever, take them and, and drop them off in Colossae where they're, now they're in slavery. No, this was oftentimes people willingly stepping in or having been born into a family of slaves. And so they find themselves in slavery, but oftentimes they could marry, have children, sometimes even had their own place. Now, I don't want to like make it sound like it was wonderful and great. They were still slaves. Like you have a job and you can go and leave your job and take on another job. They couldn't. They, they were tied to that. But some of them entered it willingly. You may be going, well, why would anyone in their right mind do this? Well, for some of them, it may have been the only way they could get food. They, they may not have been able to find work. They, they may not have any wealth where they could have farmland to grow things. And so the only way they were going to be able to eat, the only way they were going to have shelter is if they went into this. Oftentimes, they would sell themselves into slavery. And they, in a sense, it was like they got paid for their work. It's just they got the lump sum up front. And they used that to give to their family so their family could be taken care of while then they go and work out everything that they've already been given. Also, the reason Paul has to write about slavery is because there were a ton of slaves in the Roman Empire. One commentary I read said that as many as 50% of the workforce was actually in slavery. Another commentary I read said that there were 50 million people within uh, the Roman Empire at one time, and about 10 million of them served as slaves. That would be about 20%. So I don't know which one's right. If it's 50%, 20%, but even if, let's just go with the conservative 20%. Imagine if 20% of Waverly worked at Warburg. That'd be 2,000 people. That's more people than there are students there. So whenever you'd meet someone within Waverly, you'd kind of go like, oh, you work at Warburg? Because it would just kind of feel like everyone works there. And you're probably looking at me going, Aaron, uh, you didn't need to say Warburg. You could have just said John Deere. Right? You, you come across people. And, and if 20% of a place all worked at the same spot, it would feel like a lot of people. Paul's day, if 20% of Colossae was in slavery, that is a wide range of people who are finding themselves trying to figure out, how do I follow Jesus when I'm, I'm in this state? I also want to point out the fact that Paul takes the time to write to slaves means that he sees them as fully human for whom God loves, for whom Jesus died. And so therefore, he writes to them. In fact, as we've been here in Colossians, he only writes one sentence to the wife, one sentence to the husband, one to the child, one to the parent, and one to the master. But to the servants, he writes three. He values them almost more than he does the others, calling them to live out their faith in a very difficult spot. What is it that he wants these Jesus-following slaves to do? 
In verse 22, he says that they are to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. But notice how they're to do it. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. When I was in 7th and 8th grade, I went out for the wrestling team. And uh, the basketball teams used the gym at the middle school. So we used the gym at the old armory. Anyone have a town with an old armory? Okay, yeah, a few hands. So we, we would go down there and roll out the, the mats. And then as part of our warm-up and or our cool-down, we would run. But rather than just run there in the gym, Coach Simpson, for some reason, had us run out through the door into the lobby. We'd run east to west across the lobby and then come back in the other door and then run down the gym by the stage and then back out. That was our, our loop. Well, what would happen was Coach would be in the gym. And as soon as people got out into the lobby and took a left, they'd start walking. Some of the guys would go over to the drinking fountain. They'd dilly-dally. They'd kind of wait for someone else to come in, and then they'd come back out. Man, they'd run hard when they're in the gym. But then they'd get back in the lobby, and they'd start walking again. I kind of suspect that's why I was made captain of the uh, wrestling team my eighth grade year. Not because I was the best wrestler. I just didn't seem to take as long out in the lobby as everyone else. And it was quite obvious in the gym I was not the fastest. Uh, so there was nothing impressive about me other than Aaron wasn't in there as long as everyone else. And so thus, I get to be captain. Paul is saying, don't be like Aaron's teammates. Don't do your job as eye service, trying to impress the coach. Don't just work hard out in the gym. You even work in the lobby. Even where the coach, even where your master can't see you, you continue to do what you need to do. That's why he says the next phrase, you do your work with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now that fearing the Lord is not a live in fear because if you don't do this right, God's going to squash you like a bug. No, this is a fearing of awe, of worship, of respect. You are doing this for God's glory. That leads into his, the heart of his, his um, encouragement to the slaves. Verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. As we saw in marriage, when, when Paul told the wife to submit, he says, submit to your husbands in everything as is fitting to the Lord. He took their viewpoint beyond just the husband and said, this is actually not just about your husband. This is about your connection to God. He took their eyes beyond the person who is above in the relationship. We saw the same with children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is pleasing to him. So it wasn't so much just about the parents, but about their connection with God. Again, he draws their eyesight beyond the parents to God. He does the exact same thing here. Servants, you're not just serving an earthly master. You are not doing this for men. You are ultimately doing this for Christ. He's trying to lift their eyesight above and beyond these masters. I, I think doing so calls them to something greater and helps give them some motivation, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit, for how to do their role. In other words, it wasn't just about this earthly master. This is ultimately about Christ. So you serve with sincerity. You work hard. Don't do this just to make it look like you know what you're doing. You work hard all the time because ultimately God is your master. 
Each week, we've had to point out how the person who's the, the lower in the relationship is only in that relationship temporarily. Children eventually grow up and move out of the house and will reach a point where they no longer have to obey their parents and everything. Husbands and wives are only married for this earth. There is no marriage in heaven. So the submission of a wife is only for this time here until she or the husband dies. Likewise, the service of a servant to the master, some of them had contracts and so they would serve out that time. But even if they were in perpetual slavery, one day the master would die or they would die, but their relationship with God would continue. And and so he's trying to draw their attention beyond saying, don't do this just for men. You are ultimately doing this for Christ. Now, you may be listening to this going, okay, sounds great. I learned something about slavery back in Paul's time. What does this have to do with me? Because I'm not a slave. Well, maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, I'm a slave in my job. But what I want to point out is some of the similarities. Many of these servants that Paul is writing to, they entered into this willingly. If you have a job, after you interviewed, they offered you a salary package, health benefits, vacation package, and you agreed to it. You may not have fully liked it. You may think you deserve more. You may deserve more salary, more time off, better health benefits. But you still said yes. And like the bond servants of Paul's time, you end up having, um, uh, uh, you, you end up having a boss who expects certain things of you. And so you need to fulfill those. So in a sense, you are a bond servant. So let me ask you, are you working in your job as though Jesus is your boss? Or are you working as an eye pleaser for eye service, as a people pleaser? Do you work hard when the boss is around and paying attention? And then when he's not, you're shopping on Amazon, you're scrolling TikTok on your phone, you're just chatting it up with your coworkers, not accomplishing anything. Now, I realize some of you, you're possibly workaholics, and I need to have a different conversation about rest with you. Some of you, you need to ask yourself, am I working in such a way as though Jesus is my boss and not just this earthly master? Now, after verse 24, Paul says something really, really strange. He tacks on this really awkward uh, uh, sentence. Verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there's no partiality. Now, because this comes on the heels of these instructions to the servant, it's quite likely that these words are for these slaves. Telling them that if they don't work hard, even when the the, the boss isn't around, that they will be paid for the, the wrong that they've done. Because God is going to treat them with no partiality. He's going to, you know, handle things rightly and justly. Now, that's very likely. But I kind of think something else is going on. Just as when Paul was talking to the wife, drawing her attention past the husband to God, I think that would have brought encouragement. And also, when he tells the children to kind of look beyond the parents to God, I think that would also help bring some encouragement. I just struggle to think that that God, through Paul, right here at the very end, is saying, hey, slaves, I want you to look beyond your earthly master to God, get this encouragement, but if you don't do it right, mm, you're in trouble. 
I suspect something else is going on. He's about to turn and talk to the master. And so there's this part of me that thinks that as he's continuing to talk to the slave, his eyes are already starting to turn to the master. Because I think he is saying that even if your master is doing wrong in mistreating you, abusing you, not appreciating you, ignoring you, God sees it. And he will deal with the wrong. Because with God, there is no partiality. We humans tend to give like a claim and fame and attention to the wealthy, the influential, the powerful, the charismatic, the talented. And yet God looks at us and sees we are all broken, we are all sinners, that at the foot of the cross, the ground is completely level. And so even though the world in their day may have raised these masters up and the slaves are down, he's saying, I notice the wrong and I will bring the right thing because with me, there's no partiality. There's, you're not better if you're a master and not worse if you're a slave because Jesus died for them all. So I think there's encouragement here that as he draws their eyesight beyond the master, he's saying, just as I, the Lord, saw the Israelites in, in slavery in Egypt and came and rescued them out of their plight, I, the Lord, see you in your servitude and I know what's going on, and I will bring justice. And I think that is why he then turns and gives attention to the master. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So these masters are told to treat their bondservants. How? Justly and fairly. I used uh, a parallel Bible to see what other translations had. And I was really surprised at how consistent it was. Justice, uh, uh, fairness. But I I got curious. And so I I was looking into this uh, Greek lexicon. I don't know Greek, so I was using their tools to help me understand. And I thought it was very interesting that some of the overtones to this word justly could be virtuously or righteously. And with the word fairly, it could be translated equally or equitably. So why should bond, uh, masters treat their bondservants virtuously? Why, sh- why should they treat them equitably? Well, he says there, because you also have a master in heaven. Have you ever realized that every single authority has an authority? That in any realm in life, there's always someone above. Like you may work someplace and above you is your manager, director, maybe an administrator. Above that is, you know, the, the president or a CEO. Above them is the board. Above them are the shareholders. You know, go, go into government. You'll, you'll continue to see these layers. Every authority has some sort of authority over it. The only authority that does not have anyone over it is not He-Man, master of the universe. Thank you, 80s reference from my childhood. It's God. He's the only one that has no one over him. And what does God, as the ultimate master who has ultimate authority and power, do? He dies. He serves. He rescues. He encourages 
He protects. He sacrifices. So what are these earthly masters to do for their bond servants? Love. Sacrifice. Help. Encourage. Minister. That is what they are called to do. To give of themselves so that their employees, their servants can thrive. If you are a boss, how are you treating your employees? If you have people under you, are they just cogs in the machine to accomplish the project, to get things done, to make the company money? Or are they human beings for whom Jesus died, for whom God loves? Are are you considering their work environment? Are you considering their mental health? Are you considering the life they have outside of work? Are, Are you considering all of these factors? Are you helping make sure that they are treated justly and fairly? That their salary is fair? That their, their benefits package is fair? Are you doing what you can to raise them up? You know, it's very interesting. If you are an employee, if you go into your job with this idea that God is your master, what you end up doing is finding joy, but also bringing joy. Too, too often, I think, when, when we have this idea that God is our master, it, it might bring fear. Oh no, if I don't behave just right, I do wrong, God's going to you know, mete out justice against me. But I, while fear and shame and guilt can be powerful motivators, they only achieve what they want in the short term. But when love is the motivator, you will see long-term change. So if you as an employee see God as your boss and you're not doing your job because, oh no, he's going to get me. Instead, God is my boss and I'm so excited because he loves me. It changes everything. Not only do you see God's love for you through the cross, but you have to realize God gave you this job at this time. So you're not unemployed. That should give you cause to praise God even in the midst of the difficulty of the job. That, that you may have difficult co-workers, but you have co-workers for whom God has called you to be a blessing too. When you go into your job and you work not for the boss, not just for the minimum that's expected of you, but you go in and you work as though God is your, your master, you will end up finding greater joy in your job, but you will bring such joy. Your co-workers will be thankful that you are a part of this. Your boss will be impressed by you. You will bring joy. Likewise, if a master or a boss comes into the job realizing I have a master over me, and if this is what my master did for me by putting himself under me to die for me, to love me, to help me, to save me, to forgive me, then I can sacrifice myself for their good. Because if you as a boss will take that sort of approach, if you will be motivated by love, you will get far more from your employees than you ever imagined. They will not be motivated by fear, shame, guilt. But when they sense your love for them, because you know God's love for you, they will think you're the world's greatest boss 
and they will happily and joyfully work for you. But do you notice in both of it, whether you are employed or the employer, whether you're retired or you're going to be looking for your first career job, in all of it, Paul is saying, keep your eyes on Christ. Put him at the center. That is why right before he launches into any of this discussion about relationships, Paul says this, chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How are you supposed to work as an employee? You work, whether in word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus. How are you supposed to work if you are a boss? You are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you are currently looking for a job, what are you to do? Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you're retired and you find yourself in a new season, what are you called to do? To do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Heavenly Father, as we uh, conclude, we just turn to you. Because we hear the call to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father God, when we are honest with ourselves, our minds and our hearts don't do this 100% of the time. And so I am so thankful that you forgive us. The, the, the power of the cross wasn't just for the big sins. It was even for those small ones where we ignore you, we don't, don't seek you, we seek to live in our own way for our own selves. And so God, I pray you would continue to help us to live this out. That whether in word or deed, we would do everything for your glory knowing that by doing so, it will lead us to our greatest joy. Lord, I pray for those that uh, are right now in a job that is a struggle. They may not like their boss. They may feel unappreciated. They may not like their coworkers. They may not like what the, the task is. They may be frustrated by the salary. I pray, Father, that you would still help them to go into that job, not as a complainer, but to go in as your son, your daughter, your servant. And they would do this job as they, though you are their master. And God, as they do this, as, a, as an act of sacrifice, as an act of worship, I pray you would give them some joy. God, would you give them a spark of hope that you see, you know, and you are at work. Lord, for those who are uh, right now looking for a job, I pray you'd help them to see you as the provider, that you will provide the right job at the right time, and that in the midst of it, in the waiting, you will still provide for them financially, emotionally, physically. May they see you as Jehovah Jireh. Father, for those that you have put into positions of authority, I pray that they would see you as their ultimate authority and everything they do in their job would be for your glory as well as for the good of those who work under them. I pray that they would have a heart like you that they would truly seek to, to lift up the, those who work under them, to help them succeed, and in doing so, they succeed. Lord, I pray for any of us that uh, have not been faithful to these things, that you would continue to speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that the things we've heard this morning would not just be a one and done, but that this would continue to speak to us day in, day out, helping us to become the employees or the employers you call us to be. God, I also want to say thank you that as we see this passage about slavery, we would realize that these bond servants entered into it willingly, 
And we, in a sense, have entered willingly into servitude to you. That those of us who have understood this gospel message of Jesus on a cross, dying for our sins, has allowed us to come into relationship with you. That that makes us your son or daughter. That we become a part of your family. We join your church. We've gone from the darkness into the light. But may we also realize that it has brought us out of slavery to sin into the freedom of your glorious kingdom. But by doing so, we become your servants. Help us to find joy in that. Help us to to not see this whole issue of slavery as just the great evil it is on this earth. Instead, help us to see that the greatest call is to get to serve you because you are a good master. You are perfect and holy and you are for us, you are with us, and you are working through us. So God, help us today to be willing to bow our knee, to be willing to do what you call us to do, to be willing to be the people of love and change as we go into our workplaces. May you work in us so that you can work through us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. So at this time, I'd like to invite you to come to the communion tables. At any time during the song, you may get up, go to the, uh, grab the elements and bring those back. Just a reminder that when you take that, that bread represents the body of Christ, which was broken on a cross for your sin. And that cup is his blood that establishes a new covenant. You no longer have to try to earn and work your salva- for your salvation with God through the law. But instead, the law was completed and fulfilled and it is done and you are now ushered in by grace. May this be a time of prayer. May this be a time of worship. May this be a time of just meaning and confession. If you've been grumbling and complaining against God in your job, may you just use this as an opportunity to thank him for providing for you. If you find yourself in a position of authority at work, may you just ask him to help you be who he calls you to be so that you would love your employees, those under you, to the absolute full. If you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to know I'm so glad you're here. I hope that somehow in this whole entire talk about slaves and masters, you would realize that God, the ultimate master, loves you, he is for you, and Jesus died for you. But I'm going to just ask, if you're not quite sure about this whole Jesus story, to not come to these communion elements. There's no need to pretend that you're something you're not. Instead, I'd encourage you, rather than go and take a a little thing of of bread and juice, to instead pray. We're not trying to keep something from you. We, We think there's something better for you. Jesus went to a cross to die in your place so that your sins could be forgiven and you could come into a relationship with your perfect, holy God. And so the more important thing for you is not to get up during the song and get these elements. It's to stay there and have a conversation with God. If you realize that this whole entire story is true, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, I encourage you to to let today become your spiritual birthday, that you would give your life to him And yes, as I prayed, you become a son or a daughter of God. But also as you pray, you realize you are saying, I want to be a bond servant of you, God. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to see you work through me. So instead of getting these elements, would you just have that conversation asking God to do in you what he needs to do so he can begin to do what he wants to do through you. But if you know this story, even if this is your first time with us, would you come, take these elements, Let this be an act of worship. May this holy moment be what God does to seal within us the call to follow Jesus, whether as an employee or an employer. May we do this now in remembrance of him.